everybody. Welcome back to A Bit of Fun with Emily. It's me, your host, Emily. I am glad you're here. So this is the last episode of season five, and there is so much more Jim Henson company to talk about. We could have gone on for weeks and weeks and weeks, but we're just going to do it in one final swoop. Is that a saying? (laughs) I don't think that's a saying. Anyway, one final swoop. While the Muppets themselves are at the top of my Jim Henson love, there are a few gems which we'll be talking about today that are very high up there as well. The Muppets do make appearances as well. Gems that are appreciated by legions and gems that are probably not so much, maybe not even known at all by a lot of people. So we're just going to dive in without any further ado, because there's a lot. Let's just get going. We're starting with Fraggle Rock. There were 96 total episodes made, which included 100 original songs. The show originally debuted in 1983. After The Muppet Show ended, Henson asked writers Jerry Jewell and Jocelyn Stevenson to create a show for kids that would save the world, which seems like just a really lofty goal. But how kind of beautiful and noble at the same time. I love that. So on the Jim Henson Company's website, they state that the show was designed to entertain while encouraging an understanding and embracing of diversity. I just love it more and more when I think of shows like this that do talk about individuality and curiosity, and then thinking of Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, where he talked about racism and emotions and um, how to, you know, how to talk to adults and that kind of thing. It's just those kind of shows I think are beautiful. And I, I'm not completely sure we have those anymore. There is Daniel the Tiger, but that of course works with from, you know, created from the legacy that was Mr. Rogers. So I, I love knowing that there were these kind of shows on the air and that kids have access to them still today. It's a series, again, that tackled some rather hard topics for children's programming, including anxiety, fear, prejudice, social conflict, forgiveness, self-love, curiosity. Just fascinating to me. A few other interesting tidbits. In 1989, Fraggle Rock became the first U.S. TV series to be broadcast in the Soviet Union. An animated series based on the show aired on NBC Saturday mornings. When Henson pitched the show to HBO executives, he described it simply as a show for kids that would end war. HBO ordered the series on the spot, the first ever for the fledgling network at the time. And the character of the wise trash heap that dispenses knowledge to the Fraggles was originally conceived for the 10th season of Sesame Street. Creator Michael Frith's reasoning was that archaeologists always gather the most useful information about ancient civilizations by going through its trash. So Fraggle Rock is about a race of subterranean creatures known as Fraggles who live harmoniously with doozers who like to build while the Fraggles like to eat what the doozers build. One Fraggle, Uncle Traveling Matt, has decided to leave the caves and go explore the world, which he does, and sends postcards back to his nephew, Gobo. I apologize. There is a puppy named Dolly Parton who has the zoomies. She's sprinting around the house like a crazy thing. Um, So Gobo lives with his friends, Wembley, Red, Boober, and Moki, as they explore and learn together. They also taunt the gorgs who grow radishes um, above the caves, uh, and it's a fraggle delicacy. There's also um, a dog named Sprocket in the human world and his owner, known as Doc, who kind of live at the opening of the fraggle caves into the real world. Uh, And my parents have a dog whose name is Wiley, but Wiley looks like Sprocket. He kind of looks like a um, 
fuzzy nerf herder. It's He's adorable. So my favorite episode is called The Menstruals. The Fraggles are woken up by a mysterious, beautiful music coming from the caves. That's when they meet the Menstruals, a group of Fraggle musicians led by Cantus, who is voiced by Jim Henson, who travel the caves to sing Fraggle medleys. Each Fraggle must find their song to contribute, and because Red is super competitive, she wants to be the first to sing. But Red can't find her song. And so she attempts to steal the minstrel's magic pipe to see if it will play it for her. It's an episode about individuality and creativity and has strangely stayed with me since I was a kid. The character of Cantus was like outside of Red, Gobo, Boober, Moki, Wembley was the, the character I remembered <laughs> the most for some reason. Uh, and I, I just, I like the music and I like his kind of hippie-ish ways. I don't know what it was about it, but it has stayed with me forever. If you haven't watched the Fraggles or would like to go back and watch Fraggle Rock, it is available on Apple Plus, or I'm sure you can get the DVDs at your local library. Next up, The Muppet Show, a sketch comedy series created by Jim Henson and starring the Muppets and a variety of celebrity guests. It was meant to be geared more toward an adult demographic, uh, so it actually came out during primetime TV and was released in September of 1976. It went off the air in 1981. This was an interesting fact to me. No guest appeared twice, which I kind of found surprising. Along with the musical numbers and skits with the celebrities, there were also a number of recurring sketches, which had a very laugh-in or Carol Burnett show vibe. I think I'm going to have to do a short season on Carol Burnett. <laughs> Because I, I can get the Carol Burnett TV show through my TV, and I watch a lot of it. That's about all I watch on live TV because I just love it so much. My favorite skit, though, was um, either Muppet Labs with Dr. Dr. Bunsen Honeydew and Beaker. Sometimes you'd get a musical number with Beaker. Other times the good old doc would be conducting some kind of an experiment that brought bodily harm to his trusty assistant Beaker. I was also kind of in love with Pigs in Space. Because I have a fascination with space and Star Trek. It has a very Star Trek-y vibe to it and apparently very unintelligent pigs. <laughs> it's hard. It's a little hard for me, though, to go back and watch the old Muppet show. There's a lot of, like, Kermit, because it's Henson's voice, is pretty much the same. They didn't really change the look of Kermit very much. But Miss Piggy looks much different now than she did in the Muppet show. So does Gonzo. Gonzo was really kind of creepy <laughs> looking in the original stuff um, and more modern stuff, even in like the Muppets Take Manhattan, the Muppet movie even. His look really changed quite a bit and it, he's, he's cute now. He wasn't always cute. Um, so it's kind of hard to go back for some of the characters and see them so very different. Even their voice is a little different. Like they were trying to find their way, which is interesting. As for my favorite episode, that one's hard because there were some amazing guest stars. But if I had to pick one, I think I'd land I think I'd land on John Cleese in season two. One, despite the fact that he complains to Kermit that working with pigs isn't in his contract, he too shows up on Pigs in Space as a space pirate with a parrot that likes to nag him. Three, we get a song with Robin, Kermit's nephew, and Sweetums, the ogre, who we'll talk about a little more in a bit. He was, uh, Sweetums is the big guy who, in the Muppet movie, works at the car dealership and wants to go with them. Um, and then he's also, if you go to Disney World or Disneyland, uh, and you go to the Muppet Theater and, and see the 3D, Muppets 3D, 
he comes out, somebody comes in a costume and runs out. And my first trip to Disney World, my brother and sister-in-law sat me in the theater where they knew that I would be front and center with Sweetums, which I thought was wonderful. And four, Cleese tries to help Gonzo, who has one arm that is five foot long. So he starts pulling one arm to try to make it the same length. And then he has to pull the legs. And it's a pretty fun skit as well. So I'm going to go with John Cleese. That's hard. I mean, you have Mark Hamill that shows up and plays Luke Skywalker. You have um, Julie Andrews that comes on and sings. There, there's so many great guests, and I love how much they – one of the cool tidbits was that they had trouble the first season getting people on. In fact, the producer had to, like, call his personal friends in the industry to get people on. But they had this ballet dancer who was really known. I don't know him personally because I don't know ballet dancers. Rudolph – Nuriev is something like that. And that created such a buzz that then everybody wanted to be on it. And that has kind of continued. You see, even in the modern stuff, when the cameos come, there's something special about the Muppets and being on, you know, a Muppet theatrical feature or television show or even YouTube video that I think people get a kick out of. It's, it's that nostalgic feel to it. A few other interesting tidbits, Kermit and Waldorf are the only characters to appear in all 120 episodes of the series. The Swedish chef was a favorite of Jim Henson and Frank Oz since they both got to perform him. Henson was the head and voice while Oz appeared with, he was the hands, he provided the hands. And they would often ad lib forcing the other one to kind of keep up. And because of how they had to move him, um, it's also one of the only characters with human hands, which I think is funny. And an episode was usually filmed in just three days. Did, have you seen uh, the new, did I mention it before? I might've already mentioned it, but we're going to mention it again, the new, um, Muppet Lego characters that you can get. There was an, an ad for them and the people had attached, whoever did the ad, they had attached the little characters onto, I would assume, sticks of some store. And then they like relived the opening to the Muppet show with the whole song and everything with these Lego Muppet characters. It was wonderful. Now on to Follow That Bird, a Sesame Street movie that came out in 1985. Not sure when I first saw this one. I think it was randomly in my early 20s, maybe. I would often, so I worked at a local library. I started in high school. I have only ever worked in libraries. And I started in high school at the Southport Public Library as a part of the Indianapolis Public Library system. And I would just randomly like close my eyes, pull a DVD off the shelf, and then go over to the CDs, music CDs, and do the same thing. And I discovered so much, so many new artists and new movies that way. Uh, and I would just take it home and I'd watch or listen and I'd either fall in love or not. And I think, I think follow that bird was one of those. So this one is about, it's adorable and sweet. If you haven't seen it, see it. It's about a social worker named Miss Finch, who is a giant bird who decides that it's not a good idea for a big bird to be on his own, even though he's very not on his own among his friends on Sesame street. So she pairs him with a foster family of dodo birds and they live up to that name. They are, they are a kooky set of birds. That situation then is the, less than ideal and big bird misses his found family back home. So he decides to hitchhike back to Sesame street, realizing that he's not safe with the dodo family and knowing that he's big bird. He's kind of a giant bird 
but he's really a kid, his friends on the street divide and conquer trying to find him. So Maria and Oscar get in one car. Um, Gordon, Olivia, and the Cookie Monster get in another. Bert and Ernie, they take to the skies an airplane. Super Grover's there. He does his superhero flying thing. And at one point, Big Bird hitches a ride with Waylon Jennings and sings a song. And then he hangs out on a farm with a couple of sweet kids until he's finally kidnapped by some carnies at a town festival who decide to make him one of their attractions because people will pay money to stare at a giant bird. It's when he's in their cage that the Sesame Street crew finally catch up and put on quite the chase until Big Bird is safe and sound. Miss Finch finds them back at Sesame Street. She tries to get him to go away again, but then she sees ultimately that he is being cared for and loved on Sesame Street. Kermit shows up as a newscaster in the movie, the role he played on Sesame Street. This was Jim Henson's final performance as Kermit and Ernie, actually, in a theatrical feature. At the end of the movie, the count is counting the end credits when he gets to Joan Gons Cooney's name. He says, hi, Mom. She is the creator of Sesame Street and the founder of its production company, the Children's Television Workshop. So she was often thought of as the mom, um, the matriarch of, of Sesame Street. When Big Bird is being welcomed home at the end of the movie, you get a quick glimpse of a character in a window that was definitively Elmo. The movie was made before he was even considered a character on the show. The news reporter, played by Chevy Chase, opens his broadcast by quoting the theme song from Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood, another PBS Kids production, which became popular during the same period as Sesame Street. And finally, the Dodo children's names, Donnie and Marie, are of course a clear reference to the real-life brother and sister, Donnie Osmond and Marie Osmond. So it's adorable. You should check it out. Uh, A couple more. We have a couple more to talk about. The Frog Prince. Oh, The Frog Prince is another one that I think I had gotten from the library. I don't know when I first saw it. It, um, it is, of course, a retelling of The Frog Prince. In 1971, and was originally a television special. And they did, they did several of these things. I think they called it like Muppet Land or something like that, where they did quite a few different retellings of things. So... Kermit is kind of our narrator, and there is a princess who um, has been cursed by her evil stepmother, who um, is a a witch. The only humans in the story are the prince and the princess, which if you start to think about it too much, you start to get confused and wonder how that happens, that a Muppet gave birth to a real person. But so this princess is cursed, and she is really kind of speaking. They say it's backwards. It sounds a lot like pig Latin. And so she has to kiss a frog. Um, she discovers she has to kiss a frog um, to break the curse. And so she often says she has, and she also has to bake the hall in the center of her brain. So <laughs> the witch carries around a cane with a ball on the top. So she has to break the ball at the center of the witch's cane in order to break the curse. And so the prince is played by Robin, Kermit's nephew, who befriends her and is trying to convince her to kiss him. The witch is trying to stop them. This is the first appearance of Sweetums the Ogre, who is the witch's henchman. It is a musical, so we have some great songs in it, according to, in my... (laughs) Um, uncultured opinion, I guess. I love them. There's one where she's 
singing about her curse. It's her birthday as well. So the princess says, I'm tinying, I'm tinying my dearth bays today. A gig girl, a lamen, a weighty, they say. Sometimes the words aren't backwards, which is interesting. So she's 19, I'm 19, my birthday's today. A big girl, a woman, a lady, they say. And then they, um, Robin, who is trying to get a hold of the cane so he can help break the ball at the center of the cane because he can understand her where the, her, the king, the princess's father, cannot understand a word she says. Robin has no problem understanding her. So he's trying to get it, runs into Sweetums, and he has to put Sweetums to sleep. So there's another song with Sweetums, lay your ugly head down upon your wretched bed. Close your eyes and go to sleep. Sweetums is an ugly heap. And I told you I would never sing for you. I'm sorry. Um, so there's, it's just a lot of fun. It's a cute little movie. It's hard to find, actually. You can't, as far as I know, you can't really stream it anyway. I kind of bootlegged the copy. I'm just going to throw that out there. I did off of an old VHS tape that I had with it on there. Um, but it's a lot of fun if you can get your hands on it. A few other things. There, there was not much of interesting tidbits on this one because it is not wildly widely known but all of kermit's frog friends are named after the king arthur's knights of the round table you have gawain ector k and garth a variation of gareth um, and finally a number of characters in this tv special were performed and voiced by separate performers so jerry nelson voiced robin but frank oz provided the puppetry Carl Bannis provided the voice of Sweetums, while Jerry Nelson was the one performing inside the character suit. And Jerry Jewell, who was one of the writers, he must have been a writer for a long time for Jim Henson, because he was one of the writers that Henson had told in Fraggle Rock to, you know, make a, a show that would help kids save the world. He performed the voice of Tamanella, the witch, while Richard Hunt performed the puppetry. So I think that's, it's always interesting to me how how it all happens, how they make it happen. So that is fall, um, not follow. That is the frog prince. So you need to go check that one out. Next up, we have Muppets from Space came out in 1999. One of the writers was again, Jerry Jewell. It's the sixth theatrical film in the Muppets franchise. And it was the first Muppets film to not be a musical and the first film since the death of Jim Henson. So this is about um, Gonzo, which I love that he kind of got to be the star of the show when he wasn't in the role of narrator. So Gonzo receives a message in his breakfast cereal from um, aliens, and he is trying to find them. He's trying to find out who he is, where he comes from, where is his family, because he knows that he's a weirdo. He knows he is different than everybody else. Um, and the men in black get involved, and then the Muppet clan has to kind of go save him, and eventually he is reunited with his family from space, but he does stay on Earth because he has his found family among the Muppets as well. Uh, it's, the like I said, the first Muppet movie, not a traditional music, so they used a lot of funk music um, and just kind of oldies in it. Bab the Sheep was voiced by 11-year-old Christina Donnelly, who got the opportunity through the Make-A-Wish Foundation. Given a chance between acting in a Muppet film and voicing a puppet of her own, she chose the puppet. Near the end of her time filming, Steve Whitmire, who was a longtime voice then of Kermit the Frog, and Dave Gould presented her with a special edition of the Hensonville News Observer, which is the newspaper that shows up in the movie and of course harkens back to Jim Henson and a bag full of the Muppets merchandise. She also kept the puppet that she voiced, which this is the last 
Muppet movie to have Frank Oz's involvement. Um, Frank Oz was not available for most of the production, so substitute puppeteers performed his characters, and Oz dubbed the voices during post-production. He was pretty critical of the movie, saying that it didn't turn out the way they had all hoped um, that they could have done better. And an earlier draft of the story was written by Kirk R. Thatcher called Muppets in Space. In the screenplay, aliens abducted Kermit because they believed him to be their leader, leading the other Muppets to attempt to save him, which I think sounds like a fabulous movie idea, one that they should definitely make. A set of Welch's jelly glasses were produced based around this theme, which I think that's hilarious too. And, oh, another one. This makes the debut, this was the debut of Pepe the King Prawn, who was one of my new favorite Muppets, as well as the first time um, his cohort Seymour appears as well. And Seymour was a big part of Muppets Tonight, which came out in 1996. So that those were kind of the big things. They also came out with a Muppet Wizard of Oz starring Auntie, which I was not a big fan of. I think I only watched it once. They're starting to come out with other things now. They just did the Haunted Mansion over Halloween last year that kind of walked you through the Disneyland, Disney World attraction using the Muppets. It was cute. I, again, I have a hard time because the voice of Kermit's Kermit is so different that it's it's just difficult for me to watch. They came out with several different um, Christmas things, like a very merry Muppet Christmas, and there was letter like letters to Santa or something like that. Um, it so they they started to come out with more and more, and I have mixed feelings about that because I don't feel like they're the same, but I am also so appreciative that they're keeping them around. Uh, especially, it's it made me a little nervous when Disney did purchase, you know the rights to the Muppets because you, you kind of wonder if it was one of those intellectual properties that would just kind of fall into oblivion. It would just be nostalgia and you'd have to go back and watch the old. And so I, I do appreciate and love that they are still using them and introducing new generations of kids to the Muppets. They also, the Jim Henson production company also worked on, it's called Mirror Mask and Neil Gaiman was involved as well. And it's kind of this, uh, it's hard to explain. In a sense, it kind of almost reminds me of The NeverEnding Story 2 with Jonathan Brandis. Um, but a young girl who whose family works in a carnival ends up in this kind of mysterious, mystical, magical world. And so the look and the feel, you can see the engineering. A lot of it was computer generated, but you can see the costuming and, and what they were able to... You can tell the Henson Company stamp was on it as well, which I love. Speaking... Um, Neil Gaiman there is rumor there's a rumor that a new version of the storyteller could be coming out with Neil Gaiman involved maybe as the narrator himself I won't say no to that um, there's also the Muppets Mayhem on Disney Plus that was just announced not that long ago according to Disney Plus announcement the show will take us on a music filled journey as the Electric Mayhem band swaps the stage for the studio to record their first ever album with the support of a young music executive named Nora, who will manage and wrangle all of the mayhem that comes working with the group. I just love that they, the band is going to get a moment in the spotlight. I love that. Um, and there is also, if you haven't watched it, something I found actually today, just moments before, 
just moments before uh, recording this podcast, there is something on Disney Plus called Muppet Moments. And it feels very Sesame Street-esque, but they're like these two-minute-ish um, clips of the Muppets talking to kids about different things. So one would be about singing and one would be, um, be about listening. That was one of my favorite ones. Um, Bobo the bear is talking to this little kid and he's trying to get him to touch his ears and the kid just cannot find the ears on his head. It's, it is adorable. That is to me, that's the Muppets. They, they found that right there. The way that those actors can use the Muppets to connect with kids, I think is very, very important. I think sometimes they've tried to make them too mature, which they have been. You watch anything, you watch the Muppets Take Me a Hat in the Muppet movie. There's a lot of adult humor in it, but there's a a humbleness to the, the Muppets that I think have been lost in later things. And so this was just gorgeous. There's one where Kermit is making funny faces with kids that just oh, warmed my heart. I love it. So if you, if you have a few minutes, watch a couple of them. Muppet Moments on Disney+. Plus. It's absolutely fantastic. So that is it. That is the end of season five. Hopefully it is very apparent that I absolutely love Jim Henson, his storytelling, what he and his crew were able to create, how it has withstood the test of time, and how Kermit is probably one of the greatest characters <laughs> ever created. It would be a great time for you to go back and rewatch some of those, relive that nostalgia with me. It's a lot of fun to go back and rewatch them. You pick up on jokes that you missed, even if you've watched it a hundred times, and you cry at certain moments because um, when the Muppets come back into the world after being gone for a while in The Muppets with Jason Siegel, it just it fills your heart with the joy that you just weren't expecting. There are so many good things to love about the Muppets uh, and the stories that Jim Henson tells. So I highly recommend going back and watching it. Thank you. Thank you for joining me for another season. Thank you for hanging in. Thank you for being kind listeners um, and the support that you have given me. There's going to be an appreciation week coming up. Spoiler alert, it's about Keanu Reeves. And then we're going to dive into season six, where we're going to talk about some of my favorite movies that I haven't had a chance to talk about, which just feels so wrong. A few of those titles will include The Princess Bride, The Goonies, The Adventures of Aaron Munchausen, Stranger Than Fiction, Empire Records, Where the Boys Are, Galaxy Quest, The Last Starfighter. I am so excited about this upcoming season. Uh, it just gives me an excuse to rewatch the movies that I love that I haven't already talked to you about. So thank you. Thank you again so much for listening. If you haven't already, I hope you subscribe so we can keep going on this journey together. And if you've got the time, it would be awesome if you could rate and review so that other individuals who like random conversations about pop culture with someone who doesn't really know what they're talking about, well, they can join in on the fun as well. Or if you want to share the podcast, that would be awesome too. You can follow me on Instagram and Twitter at at GnomeGirlM and on Facebook as a bit of fun with Emily. Go have yourself a bit of fun today and I will see you next.